Hey, my name is Drew Dixon. I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, and I'm back with you for another Bible Thump. This is uh, where we open the Bible and see how it might encourage and build us up um, and find some hope and some direction, hopefully, and some some grace to, to, to meet the day. So I want you to imagine for just a moment uh, what life would be like if you didn't have to worry about money. Now, I want to be really clear. When I say you don't have to worry about money, I don't mean that you just have so much of it that um, that you that you can do whatever you want, <laughs> right? That you can do whatever you want. Um, because, listen, I think it's really clear. Like We see so many examples of this throughout human history of people who got more money and it didn't get them where they wanted to go, right? That it didn't fix all their problems. I think it's really clear. Like, um, in the words of... Um, the notorious B.I.G., right? Mo money, mo problems. Um, I'm sorry, I had to go there. But uh, but yeah, so it's not, I think that's, but I think actually, I sort of joke, but like that statement by the notorious B.I.G., like that plays out, right, in human history. There's so many examples. I mean, we could look at um, stories like Jordan Belford, The Wolf of Wall Street, or, or um, uh, I mean, any number of people throughout history who got more money and that money got them power and that power got them into a lot of trouble. So um, when I say you don't have to worry about money, just imagine a world where you don't have to worry about it at all. Like you don't have to worry about the problems that it brings or the problems of not having enough of it. Um, And I think like we all have a ton of anxiety these days about money because um, I mean, there's just so much to worry about in general in our culture, but also think about this, like social media makes it worse because every day you uh, wake up and turn on like Instagram or Facebook or some social media platform probably, um, you and you open it up and what do you see? You see people who have more than you, right? But here's the thing too, like other people open up their social media and they look at your pictures and things that you're doing and things that you're up to and they're like, man, that person hasn't made. Like, So here's what I want to say. There will always be someone who you are wealthier than. There will always be people who are wealthier than you. Like wealth is uh, a matter of perspective. Um, and like it, it doesn't matter where you are on the wealth spectrum, how much money you have. Um, money is causing you anxiety. And difficulty. And so with that in mind, I want to read a really cool story. Uh, one you may have heard if you've spent much time in the Bible. It's a pretty famous story in the Gospels. But I want to read a story from one of the Gospels, which is, right, the Gospels are accounts of the life of Jesus. So this is a story from the life of Jesus according to Mark. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man read up, ran up and knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept these, all these, from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to, those, to, to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his, at his words. And again Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel 
to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, the good news, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields and persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Um, So this whole story is framed by this idea of the age to come. And I think it's it's really clear at the end, right, when he says, Jesus is talking about these rewards that will be given to the, those in the age to come. But I think it's also clear in what the rich young ruler, this wealthy young man, asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jews in Jesus' day, most people in Jesus' day, and this man was most likely Jewish, um, were, because, because he's going to a rabbi, right, and he's calling him good teacher, and so this guy's probably not a Gentile, right? He's a wealthy Jewish man of some sort. Um, and they didn't think of eternal life in the way that I think a lot of Western people think of it, Western Christians, but also just people in the West in general. We think of eternal life as like the streets of gold, right? And we think of it as this like disembodied existence in some otherworldly, perfect, beautiful, heavenly world. And I think that gets us off track of what this man is actually asking. He's actually probably asking about the age to come, which is more in line with like typical ancient Jewish thinking on this subject. Um, they didn't think of like heaven as this disembodied, otherworldly existence. They believed in an age to come when God um, would send a Messiah to do something about what's wrong with the world and to bring the world to rights, to heal the world's brokenness, and to establish God's people in God's place under God's rule. They believed in the idea of a new and eternal kingdom. And this is all over the prophets, right? This is what Daniel talked about in Daniel chapter 7. This is a big part of Ezekiel. This is a huge part of Isaiah's prophecies. They're all looking forward to the age to come when God was going to do something about what's wrong with the world, but more than that, um, or not more than that, but but like deeply embedded in that was this idea of God reestablishing his people, of God putting them back on the map, of God establishing them and giving them security. Remember, the history of God's people is a history of, of oppression. Um, the history of the, the, the ancient Jewish history pr- leading up to to Jesus is story after story of, I mean, there's this glorious window where Israel's in control and Israel's in power and King David's on the throne and things look really grand and really great. And Israel's like this impressive world power. But other than that, God's people are in slavery. They're on the run. They're, um, they're oppressed by foreign powers because that glorious moment that David had was pretty short lived and pretty soon, Babylon's in control, Persia, uh, the Syrians, right? Um, these foreign powers come in and take over. And Israel's on its back foot. It's not the nation it wants to be. It's not the big deal that it wants to be, right? We all want our country to be a big deal. We all want to be important. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's this hope 
uh, in an age to come when God's going to set things right again and is going to reestablish his people in his place under his rule. And, and, it's, and, and so for people in, in Jesus' day, they thought that's a big part of what Jesus was about, right? Um, and so that's the context in which this guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to be a part of that coming age, of that good, glorious, eternal kingdom? They believed in an eternal kingdom, right? That um, there's this promise that Dave, a, a descendant of David is going to reign on the throne in Jerusalem f- forever. And so that's what he's looking forward to. Um, and so Jesus very much embodied this kind of idea, like he very much taught about it all the time. I mean, that was the focus of Jesus' teaching. He taught about the kingdom of God coming. And he talked about it in a way that said, it has come. It's here. It's it's among you. These are words Jesus actually spoke. He's, you know, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Um, but he also spoke about it in ways that it's not fully realized yet. Like Jesus was claiming to bring this kingdom the kingdom of God, this promised future kingdom, this this age to come to bear on our present age. And so, like, this is perhaps best embodied in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come on earth, here, this realm, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, here, as it is in heaven the realm of God. So this Jesus is saying, here's how you ought to pray. Pray that more and more of what of God's coming age, of this age of peace and security and justice and mercy, where my reign and rule is seen and felt, pray that that would come to bear more and more on your present experience, on life in this present world. So when this guy asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's, again, that's the context. Um, he's, he's wanting to know how he can be a part of that. And so Jesus says, well, first of all, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he says, you, you know the commandments. And he mentions several of the latter half of the Ten Commandments. A lot of people divide the Ten Commandments up into two tablets or two tables two tablets, and so the first half, the first four commandments are all about our relationship to God, like, you shall know the gods before me, don't worship idols, um, keep the Sabbath day, which is a day of worship, um, don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? And then there's the second half, which is all, like, the stuff we shouldn't do with regard to our relationship with each other, like, that have to do with the one another's, like, how we live with other people. So things like don't steal, don't lie, don't, or bear, bear false witness, right? Um, all these things are things that uh, have to do with our relationship with one another, right? And so Jesus primarily focuses on those things, except he leaves one out. He doesn't mention coveting. Coveting is the last commandment, and it has to do with how we see what other people have. Um, coveting is a big problem for us these days, isn't it, on social media? We see the vacations, the stuff, the things other people are up to, and we're like, man, I want that. And so, um, so yeah. I asked you at the beginning to imagine a world where you didn't have to worry about money. And I think that's the kind of life Jesus invites this rich man to. It's interesting that he doesn't mention the first four commandments when he says, you know, what, what must I do to be a part of this age? Jesus doesn't mention what, what we might say are the most important commands, right? The commands that have to do with our relationship with God. But this, and he doesn't mention covetousness either. But in his call to this young man, he basically says, 
throw covetous, throw your, your temptation to covetousness, throw your, um, your possessions, your idols, right? Your idols. So he, I think he is in a roundabout way talking about idolatry and covetousness because he invites this guy to a life where his money, his wealth, is no longer what dictates his happiness and his sense of self-worth. Think about how often we weigh ourselves, our own self-worth, against what we have or what other people have or the kind of lifestyle we live or the kind of lifestyle other people live. I mean, it's so ingrained in us. Um, and, and listen, this was ingrained in the ancient world too, like ancient Jewish thinking. This isn't biblical, but this is ancient Jewish. Every human culture has had this kind of way of thinking that says, um, and this is not something that God teaches in, in the Bible. Like you won't find this in the Bible. Like, but we have this idea of like, if you have stuff and wealth and power and, and um, like security, financial security, then you have God's favor. Like God must love you more than other people. Um, and what we see here is that that could not be further from the truth. <laughs> like Jesus is throwing that kind of thinking on its head. Jesus is calling us here to a radical reorientation of our understanding of the law. Um, now, I want to be really clear, like Jesus isn't saying anything in the law, anything in the Ten Commandments is not good or, or is bad or should be reevaluated. Re He's saying, look, you guys haven't thought about this nearly deeply enough, and you haven't seen the good news behind it. Jesus, now Jesus does like seemingly bend some of the rules, some of the, some of the Jewish laws, but not, but he never disobeys them. Um, and when I say he bends them, he bends like human interpretations of them, like what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. He says, no, you guys have added that on. That's not actually biblical. I'll show you what it really means to honor the Sabbath. To really honor the Sabbath means when you see uh, your neighbor suffering, you know, and, and going through a difficult time, like like their, their ox in the ditch, which is a big deal. If, you, if, you're, if you're poor in the ancient world and you only have one ox, like if your ox is in the ditch, you get it out on the Sabbath. But he would disobey those kinds of commands because um, they're human. They're added on to the law. They're not actually God's heart. Um, so Jesus is never anti-law. He's very much pro-law. But what he's calling us to here is to go deeper, to see that behind the good news, behind the law, there is some good news, right? Um, and also, I think Jesus defines himself throughout the Gospels as the fulfillment of the law. And this is an example of how he is the fulfillment of the law, that he's calling us to live untethered from the anxiety of, of wealth. He's saying you don't have to let that define you. He's not saying it doesn't matter. He's not saying we shouldn't care about um, making money. We can't afford to not care. If you have children, if you have a family, um, even just providing for yourself, you have to care about these things. He's not saying don't worry about it at all. But what he is saying is, I think he's saying these things don't have to define you. Um, and these things don't make or break you. Um, and in fact, there's coming a day when um, they really, really won't, and they'll be put in their proper place. This coming age, like is an age when all this is going to be put in proper perspective and in proper order. So while we're waiting for that day, when things like what wealth is really worth is going to be put in its proper place, let's start living now like... Like that's true.
I think that's what he's calling us to here. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that you sell everything and give to the poor, but it does mean, I think, that you see your wealth. See, whatever wealth you have, and by the way, you have wealth. Like, you have, if you have any money at all, you have wealth. So let's see that as a tool to be an ingredient of God's love in the world. Let's see that whatever we have as an opportunity to love and support our friends, our family, our neighbors, to bring good into the world, to point people to the hope that can be found in Jesus. That's what it looks like, I think, to invite the coming age to bear on our existence now. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Uh, one of my favorite descriptions of the coming age is found in Isaiah 65, and he says, Isaiah is uh, saying, you know, uh, kind of describing the new heavens and the new earth, and he says, uh, people will build vineyards and enjoy their fruit, and build houses and live in them. And this really simple idea of like, people getting to enjoy the fruit of what they do. Um, and I think it's beautiful because like so much of what we do today is like us working really, really hard, and then someone else gets the benefit of that, gets to enjoy the fruit we don't get to. And that's frustrating to us, right? Because it's like, <laughs> we want the credit. We want to work. We want to enjoy what we work hard for. Um, but Jesus is saying like, look, um, he says it here. Like, whatever you sacrifice now, trust me, you'll be taken care of in the age to come. You'll be taken care of. Um, so his promise here is that God is going to do what's right. He's going to take care of us. So now let's live like we really believe that. Um, if you really believed that God was going to take care of you, um, how might that change how you see this super anxiety-producing thing in our lives that we all have to deal with it produces an anxiety in every single one of our lives, and that's money. Um, man, I want free of that anxiety. Um, it's been an anxious few months for me and my family, I'll admit, uh, financially. Things have just been really tight, and we're not knowing how to pay for some things. Man, I'd like some relief from that. Um, but more than that, uh, and it's it's affected my like sense of um, like self worth on some level too. Like I'm kind of going like, man, I don't I'm not a good enough provider. There's all this like weird um, baggage that I think we can have about like, uh, especially like I think men can deal with this to some degree too because we think we have to be the breadwinner or whatever. Um, and so, man, I need this passage to I need this reminder from Jesus of like that doesn't does not define you. And whatever money you have is simply a tool to love me and to love others. I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. And, and that brings a lot, of, a lot of hope. That's really good news to me. I hope it's good news to you. Thanks for your time. I'll see you again next week.